So welcome to the Spiritual Intelligence Podcast once again. My name is Daniel Martinez-Stahl, and with me today is Wynn Morgan. Wynn is a friend of mine from the UK. Uh, he is also part of the Three Principles family of mine. Um, and I'm really excited to see where this conversation goes. Neither of us have any clue what we're going to talk about, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I would love to have Wynn give, give you guys a little bit of an introduction, and then we will go from there. So Wynn, go ahead. I first met you in London in April of 2013. That's what I remember. I even remember the event. I remember the first moment that weekend of that event that you and I shared a few words. And it's been really lovely to notice every time I bump into you, either in person or virtually, where your life is taking you into its exploration. Um, so I wanted to start by saying that. <laughs> well, thank you. That's lovely. Um, a little bit about me. You've said it. Um, what I do in my work life is to help people wake up to who they really are. Sometimes in a one-to-one -one conversation or sometimes that's in a group setting, mainly within businesses. And sometimes people will think, well, what's that going to do with me being great as a negotiating a, a seven-figure deal with a uh, with a client and a customer? Or what's that going to do with me leading my team or my department or my entire business? Yet it's everything. And here's a quick example. It's funny, as you were saying your introduction Today, it just popped into my mind somebody who's very senior in one of the corporate clients that I spent a lot of time working with over the last couple of decades. And she said to me halfway through one of our sessions um, on the south bank of the River Thames, we were having this session. She said, how do you deal with life when you know it doesn't, it doesn't really real this way? And I thought, I didn't even know she'd realized that's what we were talking about. But I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> and then I said to her, I said, well, most of my life I had no idea life was a game. But now I just really have fun playing it, as opposed to really thinking that there was such a seriousness and a heaviness about getting life right. And I had no idea that seeing life a bit more how it actually might be with a bit more perspective, how much more free I am to express myself, how much more free I am to enjoy myself, and how much of a gift life could be. And she welled up. It's probably five or six years ago now, but I'm really happy I remembered that as you were talking. So that's what I'm up to. It's a lovely story. It's a lovely story. So the question that I always ask as a starting question, and it's because of the kind of the, the unofficial name of this podcast, which is awakening to your inner power. Mm. So I like starting the conversation asking people, what does inner power mean to you? Wow. Inner power to me 
is not inner. It is a way that power and energy expresses itself through this form that happened to be called Wynne Morgan. That was expressed from its mother 51 years ago. And yet it looks to me as if the power within me is older than matter itself, older than time itself, and infinite. That's what comes to mind as an answer to that. So I am a fraction, or the inner power is a fraction of all power, of all energy, in this very short period of time in this form that is really enjoying the fact that it's aware of being in form and having the energy of all ages within and outside. Nice. So I'd love to get you to expand a little bit on what you said in your introduction about how life isn't real or something around those lines. I would love to get you to expand on that a little bit. Yeah. And by the way, feel free to ask me questions along the way as well. That's always an option as well. Life not being real. What did I mean when I said that? That in my humanness, I make up life moment by moment. Right now and right now and right now, but the first of those three right nows isn't now. So, the life not being real is that, to me, in the best way that I can say it right now, is that there's no past and no, fu no future. There's only ever now. Other than the construct I have in my mind about the past and the future. But there's only ever a very single snapshot of right now that's ever really real. And everything else is either a, a construct in my mind of all my tomorrows and all my yesterdays. And yet right now, it isn't all my life. It's a moment in time where, I don't know, this is way above my understanding, right? But it just looks to me, because <laughs> I'm just, you know, just a human being who doesn't really know. But it seems to me when I realize that, that there's no such thing in the past, the future, there's only ever the present moment, is that time, matter, all of that is potentially just a very fragile construct. And what's really going on is beyond what I can imagine. And therefore, when I was the, the person I was talking to earlier on, we were having a conversation and they were telling me, what do you mean it's not real? Well, anything that changes as quickly as how I feel and what I think can't really be real. It's just a fleeting eyelash in time. 
So I can't really put words to it. Mm. It's, it's a fascinating question, and I'll, I'll share my thoughts on that as well. When I started looking in this direction, one of the things that I started exploring within my own reflections and insights came around the idea of how my interpretation of an event is based on largely based on the state of mind that I'm in at the time. Mm. And I started recognizing that if I'm in a good state of mind, I'm going to have response A. And if I'm in a bad state of mind, I'm going to have response B. Yeah. And both of them are real. One of them isn't any more real than the other. They're completely arbitrary. But if both of them are real, neither of them can be real. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one, that was one of the insights that really kind of helped me to kind of look in this direction of not taking my experience as seriously, because at any point in time, I could have been in a better state of mind and had a different experience. So if I'm in a low state of mind, I don't need to give it as much importance. I don't need to give it as much energy. I don't need to get as dramatic with it. I mean, a couple of days ago, I was, I woke up or I woke up at some point during the day, I found myself being really impatient in a really bad mood, just a crappy mood all day. And I apologized to my mother for snapping at her a couple of times and I knew that it would pass. So I was in a bad mood. So what, you know, I, I, I did my best not to get the conversations. Um, and when I did, I, I inevitably lost my mind. I lost my patience and reacted in a negative way. But um, I apologized afterwards. And, you know, the next day I was a little bit better. And the next day I was perfectly normal again, as normal as <laughs> normal is. Um, and so for me, that's what that's a part of the description of what it means to live a life that that isn't real because it's mm. arbitrary. It is completely arbitrary based on the state of mind that we're in. And, and so that's what I think about. Yeah. Really neat. The other, the other thing as you were sharing that, that I've noticed is also variable is my relationship with my state of mind. Because sometimes when I'm a low, in a low mood and it looks like the low mood is real, I will act out on it. I will, you know, do a, what you did. And that happens more than I'd like to admit. But hey, human, huh? oh well. And there are times when I'm, I'm on to the fact that I'm in a low mood. And then I don't even take that so seriously. So my state of mind my relationship with my state of mind is also variable that I've noticed, which again plays the third dimension to reality. And there's probably a gazillion different dimensions to it, I would surmise. But it's, isn't it so fascinating that you and I could have totally separate inner responses and inner meanings arbitrary meanings we'd put on the same external stimulus and that you and I would have variable uh, responses inside moment by moment to the exact same external stimulus 
And if we caught on to the fact that that's how we are, that's another level of having a different experience of the exact same thing. So it's just a mind-blowing, wonderful thing to even contemplate. Yeah, and this is what I refer to as the system behind life. It's, mm. it's looking at and exploring and understanding how does the system work? How does the mechanism of life that we're living in influence and I don't want to say direct or drive, but how do we interact with that system in order to create our experience? And, and I think that that is an aspect of our spiritual understanding that, that a lot of people don't recognize because it is a spiritual understanding. It is a spiritual mechanism that is making it possible for us to have an experience of life. But it isn't the flamboyant, you know, raise my vibration and speak with angels and, you know, channel messages from beyond. It's a more pragmatic and more practical conversation of spirituality, which is our human experience. How do we experience life day to day? And that experience is a spiritual experience. And for me, that's a... Um, again, part of this conversation that we're having is that exploration of what does it mean for me to be spirit living a human form? What does it mean for me to have an experience of life, to have an experience of anger and frustration like I did a couple of days ago, and then to have an experience of peace and tranquility and enjoyment, which I'm having now, you know, it's, yeah. it, and it's just fascinating to even, you know, reflect and contemplate that. I used to take, well, I'll be really open at it about this. And I don't know if I've ever told you this in person before, even though I've talked about it publicly before. I wasn't particularly happy with being me for a very long time. I wasn't particularly happy that I'd been born. I was miserable a lot of the time. And when I wasn't miserable, I was still taking a lot of my life really seriously and taking myself very seriously. And I tripped over the the mechanics of how we work in the way, the way you described it um, 10 years ago. And a few years later, I was at a, a conference, a, a Three Principles Global Community Conference in Minneapolis. And really loving my time there and just enjoying soaking up the talks and meeting people I'd heard of and a lot of people I never did that became good friends and hanging out with people who I was very close with and just laughing a lot. And at one point in between uh, two talks, I was at the mezzanine level of the hotel. And the mezzanine level had these big glass panels between the brass railings. And for whatever reason, I noticed one of the panes of glass and I thought if that pane of glass was conscious and it could have emotions and feelings, even if it was for five minutes, how much would it want that experience? Even if the feeling, the emotion was sadness, would that pane of glass say, yes, I would love any emotion 
that would beat this just being a pane of glass. And in my head, the pane of glass would say, absolutely, I would love a few minutes of any emotion, please. And I noticed that for the, I don't know, I might have been 43 or 44 at the time. I really resisted every emotion. And I'm no different from that glass other than the fact that I wear. And I have emotions. And for some reason, that got me to be at peace in the way that you just described with your own anger, upset, frustration. Because I no longer saw those emotions that I didn't like. Insecurity, feeling depressed, feeling a lack. I no longer had such a, I don't know, adversarial relationship with emotions I didn't enjoy. I became at peace with the range of the human emotion and the range of the human experience that I, I did not think was possible until that moment. A term that a lot of people talk about or that uses the term of transcendence and this idea of transcending our human experience. And I find that that is oftentimes misstated because I hear people talking about transcending our human experience in their pursuit of a spiritual experience. And mm. what I find is transcending our human experience is the opposite of that. Transcending our human experience is the absorption and full commitment to the experience of being human. And along with that, the accompaniment of the fact that there is a spiritual reality or a spiritual component to it. Mm. And that's what I thought about when you were just speaking is that idea of transcending our experience being comfortable with whatever it is that we're experiencing, being at peace with a horrible experience and a horrible emotion and still being at peace with it. Not, yeah. not necessarily enjoying it or looking forward, not looking for it, but being comfortable in it, within it, and being yeah. at ease within it. Um, and that is another aspect of shifting our relationship with our experience. But I was interesting that you talked about the pane of glass because one of the things that I have played with ever since I heard it is this idea of consciousness because consciousness is our awareness of existence, our, our awareness of existence. I, I don't want to use another word for it. And I've also heard Sidney Banks and other spiritual people talk about how consciousness is everything and everything is oh. consciousness, oh. which means that a mountain is conscious, oh. which means the pane of glass is conscious. Oh. They might not have emotions like we understand them, but I started reflecting on that possibility that there, if they're all consciousness, there has to be an essence of awareness within that. And it reminds me of a friend of mine uh, whom I actually want to have uh, speak in this series as well. But years ago, she was telling me about how 
she would speak to the spirits of grass and the spirits of a stone and the spirits of everything. Everything has a spirit associated with it. And so she would have conversations with these spirits. And that's what I thought about when you were speaking of the, the pane of glass having awareness. Mm. Yeah. And who's to know? Yeah. That's one thing that I know I have no clue. No clue. So I would love to just kind of changing, changing paths a little bit here. I would love to. I would love to get your thoughts on or your experience on what it means to be spiritual within a human body. And I know that we've been talking about this a little bit, but just being a little bit more direct with the question, I would love to get your thoughts on what that means to you. How I see it right now, energy and matter. And also to know, you know, I'm smiling given what you said about the spirit of grass, the spirit of stone, the spirit of mountain, the spirit of glass. Well, all of those entities have energy. The vibration that effectively is what gives the formless form because there isn't really form there there is nothing really there in any of that stuff including in me other than the energy that binds the subatomic particles into atoms into molecules into more complex things and it's made of nothing other than energy playing the game of form so i cannot be anything other than spiritual because i'm made of spirit i'm made of energy and i'm made of this current very fallible version of form that will be something else in the not too distant future in the big scheme of things even the enamel in my teeth, the hardest element in the human body, will be something else in only a few thousand years. And a few thousand years is nothing, given apparently the age of the universe, and the age of the solar system, and the age of this planet. So I find it fun to know that I can be no more nor less spiritual than the most spiritual inverted commas person who ever existed. No less spiritual than, than the person who is or, or more spiritual, nor less than the most spiritual or the least spiritual person that we would might consider to be spiritual or, or not. Because we're made of the same thing. We're of the same. which I guess is a long-winded way of saying that 
we're all the same. There's one energy mm. playing form. The oneness. Yeah. As Harry was speaking about in the last episode. Oh, cool. When you are speaking with corporations and businesses, what do you share? What do you talk about? How do you tie in this conversation with the practical, pragmatic, solution-based mentality that exists in, in the business world? Well, I would start by understanding how they see things and what they want for themselves or their people or their company. And then I'll get just get curious. And at some point, it'll dawn on me what will be the one thing that if they understood it would have the biggest impact in the direction of what they'd love. So the conversation, how I've been talking with you today, wouldn't necessarily be, would be very rarely how I would start with a group of uh, C-suite executives who want to be able to work better together. Probably wouldn't be where I'd start. But I'd start with where they're at. And then I'd see... that if they understood this one thing about what it is to be human and how we work, the difference that that would make for them. And you're right, the second part of, of your question about in the very solution-based world, I would one thing that I would wish for them to know is that the best thing I can do for them is to not provide them with solutions other than for them to know that the solutions are built within them. And I then just keep having conversations in that direction with them mm. and see where it goes. Can you talk about how we have the capacity for solutions with inside ourselves? Well, what, what I underestimate for myself, and I know a lot of people do, is that we have an inner knowing that is all that always shows up in real time when required. So if there's something that requires a solution, it appears. I've constantly underestimated that real time responsiveness to my life. I've constantly thought that I needed to know the answer to tomorrow's issues and tomorrow's problems today and have the solutions to, to things I have just made up. When I notice that I have that real-time responsiveness, wisdom, inner genius, the inner power that you mentioned earlier on, that is how I'm made and how everyone is made. All of a sudden, it makes less sense for me to preempt tomorrow's solutions. 
but I had to see that for myself. And then what I notice when other people see that for themselves, they no longer are addicted to getting a, a prescriptive solution from outside of them. They're not coming to me so much for the answers to what if this happens in October, in two and a half months' time. They're no longer so interested in that because they know that they have it within them to either self-generate a, a resolution or a knowing of what to do to help the resolution occur. Or another way of saying it would be, I want them to see enough of their inbuilt wisdom for them to no longer think they need mine. Hmm. And I love that direction. And I would love for you to expand on that a little bit more. And I'll ask, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean. I can remember myself and I imagine listeners on the podcast are saying to themselves, easier said than done. My life, you know, they don't understand my life. My life is in struggle and turmoil. My anxiety is real. My challenges are on top of me and I don't have solutions. And that whole quote unquote reality that they're living in seems very real and is very real in many regards. So I would love to hear your thoughts and for you to expand on what you mean by we have this inner wisdom inside of ourselves and that we underestimate it. Mm. And it's not necessarily a how-to question, but it's kind of leading in that direction of how do you help somebody see that for themselves? Well, I, I get them to take a look, first of all. Well, it's, it's difficult to actually answer that question without being in direct conversation with the person. So it's difficult, right? Because in the same way as my wisdom shows up when it's required, answering a theoretical question, which is what this is, won't be so alive as it would be if I was talking with someone who was in it right now. Right. But right. I'll give a couple of examples. Yeah. So somebody else earlier on today that I was talking with, it was really clear to me that they were really seeing themselves clearly, but they didn't think they did. So I was hearing so much wisdom they hadn't caught on to. So with them, it was just like, smack me in the head that, wow, this person's so wise, they see so much, how come they don't see what they see? It was curious to me. So I got them to take a look and I said, well, you know when you said that? That's really wise. I said, what do you mean? Well, that's how it looks to me. Really? Yeah. Well, you know when you did this? Yeah. Well, what was that? Lucky. Or this and this. And so 
I got them to reflect on what's been happening in their life and they just hadn't noticed it. And sometimes I would share that for myself. Sometimes I would share stories about my own um, hidden wisdom or hidden ways of working that was blind to me because I was stuck in my own thinking about things. And it would just occur to me to share what makes sense in the moment. There's an organization. Well, I've had two organizations. There's a group of coaches and a, uh, a corporation that because I was sharing earlier this year some stories about what I'd noticed for myself, they both of these separate entities in different parts of the world in totally different other walks of life both talk about thought squirrels because I was sharing what I'd noticed about squirrels in my garden and how that related to thought. Now, I'd shared that a few times in January and February. All of a sudden, this global organization and this group of coaches in Europe now talk about thought squirrels as a metaphor. Now, it worked in that moment, but it doesn't mean it would work if I was talking with somebody in 10 minutes' time because there's the aliveness there too that I don't have to know in advance. Now, I have no idea if that is a helpful answer to you or anyone else listening, Daniel, but it's the best I got right now. And I love it. I love it. What I wanted to emphasize in what you're saying is, uh, just to kind of bring it back home a little bit, is that the wisdom inside of us is responsive in the moment to what is happening in the moment, not to what you said earlier, not to a potential future and not to a past. Right. In real time now. Yeah. Our inner wisdom is going to provide us with the information that we need to best handle any situation in the moment when that moment is present and we're in the middle of it. As long as we are, I want to say, let me rephrase that. I was going to say something differently, but I'll put it in a different way. This information is always being given to us. The difference comes on whether or not we listen to it, whether or not we recognize it. Because, and I'll speak for myself, I know that when I get really caught up in the content of the situation that I'm facing, it's very easy for me to get lost in the emotional response of it. And when I'm in that state, it's harder for me to listen to the whispers of my wisdom. Yeah. And knowing that they're there makes it easier for me to look for them. Knowing Mm. that this is a natural part of how I function, Mm. it's a natural default state of my existence, and it is a spiritual intelligence communicating to me in real time, makes it easier for me to remember that and to listen for the whispers of the wisdom 
as opposed to the screams of my content. Beautifully said, sir. That's how I would say it too. If I was articulate as the way that you just said it. <laughs> Here's the other thing that, that I notice. Sometimes I think it looks like we need to therefore will wisdom into existence. Oh, come on. Let me now pray to the God of wisdom to come and answer my plight. <laughs> Very good point. And I, I've noticed it doesn't work that way. I think, look, this is you and I talking in human words in one language about one thing. And we call it wisdom. I don't really know what's going on. Okay. But it looks to me as if there is something guiding me more than I can actually cognitively think of or consciously cognitively think of. And at the same time, I have made some pretty damn good life-changing decisions, good life-changing decisions, in the midst of huge insecurity and fear. Ego-driven things, insecure-driven things. So if there is such a thing as wisdom, I think it's got, it's got our back regardless. Now, I would rather be less reactive and in a reaction to the outside world. But as a human being, it's going to happen occasionally. I'm at peace with the fact that I'm human too, that I will get stuck into my content and my noise and my nonsense. That's how it looks thought, how thought works in human beings sometimes. That's what thought's designed to do. It's designed to look real when it's arbitrary, as you said earlier on. I don't know. I think the grand plan, if there is such a thing, works in mysterious ways, as people have said about lots of spiritual things in the past, beyond what I want to will into existence now. One of the messages that I repeatedly hear from spirit, both through my clients when we're in a spiritual regression and or through people that I listen to that channel messages from spirit, mm is a, un, a unilateral message of everything is happening in divine time mm. and that there is no wrong way to do anything. And a big part of, for me, that I, and I still struggle with this myself, a big part of my own growth and understanding is in fully embracing that message because it's so hard for me to not criticize myself for having done something a certain way or for mm -hmm. not having done something a certain way. Um, 
and to really kind of come into the space of recognizing that whatever energy is driving life is driving me. Mm. I'm a part of that energy. The energy that has this incredible solar system functioning in its complexity and the universe functioning in its complexity is the same energy of life that is driving me. And a lot of what we talk about in the three principles conversation, as well as in other conversations is an alignment and an allowance of that energy to flow through us and to allow that energy to be like a GPS system is a common metaphor that a lot of people use or in, in the Christian world, which I am a part of because of my upbringing in Guatemala, you know, a lot of my family down there will talk about the moment that they saw and found God the moment that they turned their life over to God. And that whole aspect of the describing things doesn't resonate well with me, but I understand the sentiment behind it. Yeah. I understand the idea behind this allowing of something that is capable of creating incredible worlds and universes, allowing that same energy to live my life and to get out of my own way so that I can be in alignment with what that means. And so that I can use that same energy more actively to actively create the life that I want, to actively participate in the creation of the life that I want. Hmm. And that's the space that I'm exploring more and more is, you know, how to, because I love figuring things out from a perspective of how things work. Yeah. That's like my driver for things is how does the system of life work? How does my relationship with it work? How do I then interact with it in a way that is going to be beneficial for me and others and et cetera? So there's a, there's a how-to aspect of the way that my mind loves putting things together. Um, and that's the exploration that I'm currently in right now is how do I allow myself to get into a state of awareness where that happens. And I hear people talking all the time about it can't happen through our human body. Our ego will not allow it. Our human self is impossible for us to experience God. And, and I understand where they're coming from. Um, but in the end, I'm still human. Yeah. And for me to experience something, I'm still experiencing it through my human self, whether or not my ego is put aside or driving the conversation, my ego is still present because I cannot exist without an ego. I cannot mm -hmm. exist without a sense of self. Yeah. 
Um, so it's that whole complexity and questions and God, I'm just babbling. <laughs> That's really cool. You know, the one thing towards the end of what you just shared. I remember thinking a while ago, quite a few years ago now, what if this is heaven? And then a lady called Anita Mojani brought out a book called What If This Is Heaven. There's a part of this existence of being human right now, which is being able to have emotions, having this body, this form that can take in information and have feelings, can smell, can taste, can hear, can touch. That is, in my mind, a gift. And I don't know if in the spiritual plane that's possible. I don't know. Yet, if it's true that there's a spiritual plane and we're playing here in this earthly form, in this human form, for a certain period of time, then it makes sense for us to experience all there is to be human. Our range of emotions. Pizza and marzipan, so my favorite things, pizza, my least favorite marzipan that I can smell a few hours ago, we had a thunderstorm, the first rain we've had in a few weeks of significance and the smell of that. And allergies to tree pollen on the same day. It's just, there's something about this being alive with all of these ways that we can experience form and spirit that I had no idea that could be a blessing until I've seen more about what you were pointing at, how we work. Because the more I've looked at how we work and my the mechanics behind the human system, including my brain, my mind, my biology, my physiology, my ego, the more I've looked at how it appears that actually works the less how-to I've got to figure out because I just enjoy the ride an awful lot more than I thought possible. And in that ride is the flow that you mentioned. And people are catching on more and more to flow. The business world is catching on more to it. There was a, a guy yesterday at the time of us recording, who won his first gold medal at his fourth Olympics in synchronized diving. And he easier said, today we've just been in flow. It was his fourth Olympics and the person he was diving with, it was there first. <laughs> he said, yeah, we've been in flow today. We're catching on more and more to that whole riding the wave and I think it was Michael Singer 
the surrender experiment, which people who've read that book rave about it. And another way of saying it, going back to what you shared about your upbringing in Guatemala and the Christian faith, is God's plan. I love the notion that maybe this is where divinity is. And all I had to do was see it. I find it is the hardest thing for me to see my own divinity. It's still something that I, I don't want to say struggle with because it's not really a struggle, but it is something that is hard for me to recognize. I intellectually understand a lot of the conversation, but having a felt sense of my divinity is still something that I am underappreciating, I think is a word that you used, which I really like, because I think that I'm underappreciating the experiences that I've had that allow me to recognize that. And being in a open awareness, willingness to experience whatever life brings my way doesn't mean that I don't have my doubts. And I'll give you an example. I am currently taking care of my mother in the basement of my sister's house where I realistically don't have an income. Oh. At the moment, I don't have clients. I have one client at the moment. I don't have a, a long, a large client base. I don't have a job at the moment. And at the and everything that I'm hearing in the spiritual world is, you know, pointing to this idea that there's abundance everywhere, and that you will always experience abundance if you allow it. And that, again, to the same idea that we're talking about earlier, it will be in real time. And, you know, I question and I wonder, you know, I would love to be able to buy a house at some point and I'm creating my, my vision boards and all these other things that people talk about. And it's not my responsibility to figure out how it's going to happen. I need to trust that it's going to happen. And that's really hard for me to do. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard for me to trust that. But that for me is part of my play. That for me is part of the game that I'm in, is exploring that level of trust and of acceptance. And like we were talking about earlier before we spoke, I've been told that I have the capacity to be clairaudient so that I can speak with spirit directly. That hasn't happened. Oh. And I am reminded time and time again that it's going to happen in divine time, not in my time. Oh. And for me, the hardest part is letting go of my desire to control things and to want it now and what can i do to fix it what do i do i need to meditate more do i need to communicate do i need to take this course do i need and it's just uh letting go and an allowance 
so I've been babbling a lot and I apologize. The, um, the last couple episodes of the podcast have run <laughs> one exceedingly long and then the other one uh, fairly long. So I would love to you know, take into account the listener's time and, and keep this to about an hour. We have about 10 minutes left. Okay. And at this point, I usually like kind of turning it over to you and asking if there's anything that you would like to share, anything else, any other direction that you would like to explore. Let me sit with that a second, because nothing's springing to mind. Yeah, no problem. While you're thinking, hmm. there's a emphasis, <clears throat> and I know I said it earlier, but there's this emphasis that just came to my mind about having faith and having trust and having peace with wherever you are, regardless of whether or not you're in the midst of challenges or if you're in the midst of heaven on earth. Spirit mm. seems to have a emphasis on having us experience different things in life. And that experience in and of itself is the value of this form. And being comfortable with where we are, allowing things to happen in their own time without trying to control things is just something that I wanted to emphasize. You know, what I noticed is something in what you just said about whether we're in the midst of this being heaven on earth or we're in the midst of a dark night of the soul or some very challenging circumstances. And I, and I don't mean this to diminish anything that anyone listening is going through or that in your life or in my life we're going through. Yet, if when I notice and I remember that how I feel on the inside and how I perceive what's happening my, in my life is how I feel and I perceive it. It's coming from within me, not coming from life circumstances. So an example. I used to think that one of my I'll be happy whens was financial security. And I remember vividly feeling one morning that I don't know, maybe my fifth or sixth year of business that I'd made it. So this is going back, you know, best part of a decade ago now. Okay, here we are, sorted, I'm done. Because I have now, my cash flow is healthy. My business forecast beyond that is healthy. 
I remember I'd invoiced more in the first quarter of that year than I had the entire previous year. It was already going to be my best ever year in business. Everything was really rosy. And then an instant later, I had this thought, what about next year? It was March, and I was worried about next January. So I went from feeling heaven on earth to feeling really insecure. And I was lying in bed on a Sunday morning. Nothing had changed, and yet everything I was feeling had changed. Nothing moved. And noticing that all of us, we have a different way of feeling and perceiving the outside world. The fact that even if that looks slightly different moment by moment or slightly different today than it did a week ago, worse or better, if it changes and the, and the thing is the same, and the thing can't be the cause. It must be the inside out way of seeing from within me that I experience things. I don't see things as they are. I see things how I think in the moment they are. And to me, that really matters because that takes all the pressure off me trying to get the form of my life right to have the house of my dreams, to win the lottery jackpot, or the person of my dreams. It takes all of that need for that stuff to be right in order for me to feel a certain way off the table. When I see that I'm experiencing things from the inside, Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Explain that, what you mean by that? Any specific part of that? The aspect of taking the pressure off of the house of your dreams, the relationship of your dreams, the finances of your dreams. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be really open, okay? There are times when I daydream about winning the Euro millions jackpot, which is in the tens of millions of pounds, right? So in US dollars, you can multiply that by 1.35, I think, current exchange rate. So it's a lot of money. And I will periodically look at uh, apartment prices in Brooklyn, apartment prices or house prices in Malibu, California, and apartments in Vancouver, houses in London, houses back in my homeland of South Wales and houses around here where I live in Berkshire. And in that daydream, it's a nice daydream. And then at some point I'll remember that me looking at my iPad and responding to what's in my head will be me responding to what's in my head, whether I'm in a $10 million apartment in Malibu or in a, a $20 a night hostel in South London, or whether I'm in my mother's spare room in a single bed 
I will still experience my life and everything from within my own head, not from the outside. And therefore, by seeing that, the, the I'll be happy when myth was busted, it meant that I could live without wishing for the moment that I started to live. Beautiful. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with you when, and of course I'll have details in the description, but if there is there something that you would like to share? Well, my name is quite distinctive. Um, there are only two Win Morgans that are easily found on social media. One is the head of economics in Nottingham University. That's not me. I'm the other guy. Even though sometimes <laughs> we get we each of it, each of us would used to get invitations to LinkedIn that's intended for each other. So we connected this other Win Morgan and myself connected on that, and we giggled about it. Um, so I'm quite easy to find that way. Um, a podcast that you know about under the noise with me and my co-host Kate Roberts, um, is something that I know some people are really enjoying, but the only other thing I'd say to what your question was, I would just love it if people just looked within for themselves. And I'll just share one final thing. The only thing that was ever wrong with me was I thought there was something wrong with me. And even that wasn't wrong with me. So going back to something that you said earlier on about, I find it harder to see the divinity in myself. I'm with you on that. Until I realized that that's not uncommon for someone to see the divinity everywhere else other than themselves. And then I just got me a little bit curious. That probably means that we're all the same. Because I could see the divinity in 7.9 billion other people and not in myself. And at some point those odds started to look a little bit ridiculous. How could I be right? One in 7.9 billion. Highly unlikely, I thought. And then I just got suspicious and then I quit believing it. So whether you think you're divine or not, I'm sorry you are. <laughs> and I'm not really sorry. <laughs> and that's to everyone listening. And it's been really lovely to talk with you today. Likewise. Likewise. And I look forward to continuous conversation at some other point in time. Me too, my friend. Me too. All right. So I will... Uh, Look forward to your latest episode on your podcast, which I also enjoy listening to. And I look forward to at some point connecting in person. So lots of love to you, my friend, and I will talk to you soon. And you take care. It's been a pleasure talking with you, Daniel. Take care. Likewise. Bye-bye.